If you have your Bibles, open it up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I'm going to be reading there some familiar words in just a moment. Luke 4, right around, I think I'll begin verse 14. It's been a couple weeks, and so we took a little break from our teaching series because of vacation. And as you will recall, we've been talking on the theme of saturation. Saturation, what our nation and our lives really need. And uh, if you've not heard what we were talking about, I don't have time to review it all. You can go to iTunes and catch it there through our website. But uh, our teaching series was about helping you understand the need for God's presence in our lives. The need for God's presence in our nation. And uh, we've sort of just leapt off that to spend some time talking about really revival. Because that's what revival is. Revival is God's presence bringing to life or quickening to life again. uh, Victory. And uh, overcoming and triumph, quickening his people again uh, to the things of God. And, and we mentioned in some past messages how, how revival is not just this thing that, you know, pastors and spiritual people want to see come to pass. But really, it's what our nation needs and what your life needs. Because if you can somehow have God's presence come into your life or into this nation, how many of you know every need is met? Every problem is solved. Every issue is addressed. And so this becomes, I think, one of the most practical, important things that we could even begin to talk about or address. And so we've been spending some time on the concept of saturation. And just to remind you, I put on the screen overhead again our definition. I I defined revival for you uh, by Duncan Campbell. There are many definitions of revival, and, and most of us, when we define it, usually try to define it. Uh, by giving the attributes of revival, which is fine. But to just kind of bring it to its irreducible residue, we defined it like Duncan Campbell did. And he said it was a community or people saturated with God. That's the definition of revival. Now, you would think with all the benefits of the moving of God's Spirit upon our lives, and even in a nation, that people would be tripping over themselves to be a part of that experience. You would think if we could make a case for a person's benefit or a nation's benefit of having God move by His presence powerfully in that life or that nation, you would really think that people would be scrambling to get a piece of that. That they would be tripping over themselves to somehow lay hold of what God could do by way of blessing in their life. But nothing, to be honest with you, could be further from the truth. And so, what I want to share with you this morning is what I've called Operation Opposition. Operation Opposition. Now, it's kind of a, a, a twist that I'm doing here because, because you need to understand that as God begins to move, there's an operation that goes on out there and its assignment is to oppose you. Okay, when God begins to work in your life, I'll say it again. There's an operation that goes on out there that seeks to oppose you. Now, I'm going to read to you out of Luke's gospel here, chapter four, and bear with me as we go through several verses. But we're actually working 
and dealing with Jesus here. And there's some interesting things that are said. Luke chapter 4, he's beginning his earthly ministry. He just came out of the wilderness. Now this is really, I just this just kind of leapt in me. How many of you know that if you spent time in the wilderness, and most of you know the story, and you remember who showed up while Jesus was in the wilderness? Yeah, Satan showed up, didn't he? And he offered him all these temptations and detours. And of course, Jesus overcame all of those solicitations. And you would think that, that if you went through a wilderness time and you dealt with opposition from the devil himself, that God would at least give you a moment to fellowship with some supportive people. I mean, isn't that reasonable? No, that's not the case. Listen to what happens here. It says in verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when He had opened the book, He found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 19 literally means I've come to change seasons for you guys. I've, I've come to declare the dawn of a new day. If you want a new chapter written in your life, I've come to provide a new chapter. Whatever your past was, that's a different year. It's a new year. Hallelujah. That's good news, wouldn't you think? He closes the book, gives it back to the attendant. Verse 20. Sits down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Woo! I don't know about you, but there have been some moments that I've been at church that I needed a new day. I needed a new season. I needed, I needed to close that chapter off. Could we just conclude that chapter? I need to start a new chapter in my life. I'm just belaboring the point that you would have thought this would have just made everybody stand up and shout their socks off. Wow! A dawn of a new day. Jump over to verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Wow. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and your mind just goes tilt, but this is one of those moments. Can you imagine that? You would think that after centuries of crying out for a Messiah, centuries of the Jewish people wanting to have their Messiah come and do the things that Jesus said, he would begin to do, you would think they would be thrilled to have him on the scene. After all, he's already proven, if we were to read the other Gospels, he's already proven that he could heal the sick and cleanse the leper and he would deliver the oppressed and he could set the captive free and he could do incredible miracles and he would lead them incredible teaching that could bring hope and comfort. 
I mean, who in the world would oppose that? Well, the answer is a lot of people. You see, we tend to overlook the fact that when God's presence comes and touches even thousands of lives miraculously, there still remains many outside that experience. You know, the Bible says that there will be myriads of people that will know the Lord and that will come to know the Lord even yet. But let's not be naive. The Bible says that straight is the way, narrow the way that leads to eternal life. A few there be that find it, but it says that the road to destruction is broad and many find it. And no matter how many we see coming into the kingdom, there will always be more who stand outside than inside. It only takes a quick glance at the life of Jesus to see that when he shows up, there would be hearts that would grow even harder in opposition to what he promised. In fact, from the moment he begins his ministry here in Nazareth, we see him contending with those who are in opposition to what he's doing. And here they're contending with him at the very beginning of his ministry. Now, we know that at the end of his life, he wasn't real popular, right? His earthly life. I, I mean, all of Jerusalem turns on him. Rome turns on him. The religious system turns on him. He's crucified. We know that he had, he had much opposition at the end of his life. But it's important that you know that here at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus faces opposition. Now, there have always, always been opposing people that would come into the equation whenever God was beginning to do something in people's lives or in the earth. In the Old Testament, there were always uh, opposing voices and characters that would rise up to try to hinder or stop God's people from moving forward with the Lord. I, I, I can't even go through all of the different scenes. You'll know most of them. Hezekiah wanted to bring reformation to the southern kingdom. And as he begins to do this reformation project, instantly the Assyrians come and do their best to try to stop what Hezekiah wants to do to bring reformation to the nation. Most of you know the story of Nehemiah and how God moved on him and burdened his heart to build the walls. Uh, when the, the Jews migrated back into their land, he wanted to rebuild the walls there in Jerusalem. And in the middle of this building project to rebuild the walls, some of you know, you know, Sennacherib and Tobiah show up. And they sit there and do their best to stir up opposition to Nehemiah as he's doing the work of the Lord. I mean, those of us that know the children of Israel as a whole, when they came out of Egypt from Pharaoh's bondage, and they're going in to possess their destiny and to possess the land, you know the story. They come up to the promised land. They send in the spies. They get the report. And the report is that there are giants that fill the land. And what that means is that we're going to have to go in and fight for this thing because the giants are going to oppose us. And I could give you a long and lengthy list. You go to the New Testament. The disciples, especially Paul, found this to be true as the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans all opposed God's work at various times and at various levels. Some of us forget that Paul literally had to be snuck out of cities lest he be killed. They had to, they had to throw him in these gurneys and, and, and lower him at night on the outside of walls in order to get him out of town before he was killed. We forget so often these stories. And if it was true... For the last 2,000 years, and I can tell you that historically, 
Christians who have been serious about pursuing God and experiencing His presence have been opposed. They've been opposed by the religious system. They've been run even out of churches. They've been persecuted, even burned at the stake. So, as I was thinking about how we were soliciting the presence of God and how we were wanting Him to come to our nation and come into our lives in, in a new and a fresh way, I thought it would only be fair to tell you, because you know here at Legacy, we are, we are the epitome of truth in advertising. I thought it would only be fair to tell you that pursuing the Lord, while it's the best decision you will ever make, don't think it won't come without opposition. I always remind myself that if Jesus is my example, then what he faces, I might face. I'll never forget one time years ago, I was, I was whining before the Lord over an issue that was going on in my life, and I was being opposed and, and, and challenged, and, and it was, at least at that time, one of the greatest challenges I had ever faced, and I felt like, I felt like my, my reputation was being besmirched, and, and I felt like my character was being challenged, and I don't, I didn't felt, feel like at the time that I had even deserved that. I, I know that I had walked up rightly before my God. I did my best to walk it out scripturally, and, and I was whining unto the Lord. You know, there's a difference between praying and whining. And I was whining unto the Lord, saying, Lord, my reputation. I can't believe, Lord, can't you do something here? I feel like my reputation is just being is just being slaughtered. And the Lord spoke to me and he reminded me of Philippians 2, where it said that his son became of no reputation before he was given a name above every name. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, if, if that's what I do for my own son, my only begotten son, what do you think I'll do for you? Well, wasn't that a good word? The Lord was just reminding me this opposition stuff, it comes with the territory. It's not, it's not to engender fear. Don't misunderstand. We'll get there. I'm not, I'm not trying to engender fear in you, but I am trying to exhort some preparation. At times, I, I believe that there's an overemphasis. And, and, and hear me now, I'm, I'm Pentecostal to the bone. I've, I've got roots in the charismatic renewal. Let me tell you, I, I understand about favor. And I understand about prosperity. I, I got it. I, I, I've, I've been raised up in these things. But can I just share this with you? Because we believe in the whole counsel of God. I, I believe that there might be at times almost too much of an overemphasis on favor. Because I believe God provides supernatural favor. And you know what? I'm confessing right now, I'm going to need some favor in order to build a building. I'm going to need some favor to do everything that's before us as a congregation to move forward. And how many of you know, just like Nehemiah got favor from the king, we too can get favor. Favor is, is true and it's needed. But there's arisen a doctrine that seems to leave me with the impression that that following God is all about smoothness. I'll never forget years ago when, when, when I transitioned out of my denomination and, and, and we were following God in a, in a more uh, uh, you know, loosely knit uh, structure. I'll never forget, I had guys from all over the nation call me on the phone and they'd say, hey, hey, Kevin, I heard what's going on in your life. It sounds cool. Is there any way, is there any way you can help me make a smooth transition from where I am? Because I'd really like to be where you are. 
And I'd say, I bet you do wish. But let me tell you something. You can't get to where I am unless you're prepared to pay the prices that I paid. You see, you can't get you can't get to resurrection power until you understand what it feels like to lay in a tomb. You can't get to the name that is above every name. You can't get to all things beneath your feet until you understand what it's like to be crucified with Christ. I'm not, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to prepare you because there's something in our current society and church world that seems to leave me with the opinion that if you're following God, everything should be effortless and smooth and easy. And if you face any opposition, then something must be wrong. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus faced opposition and there wasn't anything wrong in his life. He was in the middle of God's will. In fact, if you don't face a little opposition every now and then, then perhaps you need to check the level of God's presence in your life. Sometimes if, if I'm not stirring up enough issues, maybe I need to look and say, Lord, are you working in me or not? Now, why would there even be opposition? Why even talk about it? Um, let, let me just say this, that, that the simple reason I, I need to share with you about opposition is because you don't want to be found on the wrong side of a move of God. The Jews were promised people. Listen to me carefully. They were, they were people who had a covenant with God. Promised people. You understand that, right? Seed of Abraham. God's patience, long-suffering. They were the apple of God's eye. Yet when the answer to their issues showed up, when the very presence of God, as He was incarnated in Jesus Christ, as, as Jesus shows up, do you understand? The promised people were the most resistant and obstinate. Perhaps of everyone. And that should warn us, at least of this, that we can say we love God and we can say we believe in God and we can be in the house of God. But even though you do all these things, you can be resistant to the things he may want to do in your life and maybe even in your family and ultimately the nation. And I just want to give you five reasons why why there's opposition, why we face opposition pursuing his presence. Why would there be opposition? Let me just run through this relatively quickly. Number one is the reason there's opposition when you're pursuing God is because you upset the devil. Isn't that pretty easy? Does it really surprise you? When we get serious about being saturated in his presence, we become a serious threat to the kingdom of darkness. You've heard me say this before, but the reason God does not, or excuse me, the reason the enemy does not uh, hassle sometimes, you know, your, your lost neighbor, your lost friend, your lost family member. The reason, the reason oftentimes the enemy doesn't mess with lost people is because they're lost. But the reason he messes with God's people is because you're the only one that is a significant threat to his domain. You're the only one that has revelation of authority and power that can actually step into situations and begin to push back and defeat him. So you've got to understand at some level that when you say yes to Jesus, you've already put a crosshair on your back in some ways for the enemy to come after you. 
Right now, you need to understand there's a serious battle that is raging in the heavenlies over people who are committed to to praying and are committed to holiness and committed to being passionate. Do you understand that when we gather an hour early thereabouts for prayer time, when we come and we passionately worship our God, when we listen to His Word and we seriously want to live it and walk it out, do you understand that there is something that stirs in the heavenly realm that begins to just tick the enemy off? In Daniel chapter 10, there's a great passage here. The passage is when Daniel begins to pray and, and, and he waits actually 21 days, the Scripture says. And in that 21 days, apparently he's a little concerned about whether God's heard him or not. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's a revelation that comes and out of this revelation, he finds out that God answered his prayer instantly when he prayed, but there was this contending that was going on in the heavenly realm. And uh, that's exactly what's happening. Now, the good news is we prevail. We win if we don't lose heart. So even today, as we worshiped and we prayed and, and as we're being instructed in the word of God, yes, there's a contending that's going on. This isn't making the devil happy. Isn't that good news? It's about time we disturb him. Hasn't he disturbed you? Sure. Now it's your opportunity to turn it around. But we upset the enemy. He's in charge of Operation Opposition. So, so number one, we upset the devil. Number two is, uh, the reason there's opposition is because whenever God shows up in powerful ways, it challenges people's current spiritual state. Jesus challenged the religious system of His day. Whenever the freshness of God's presence comes, whenever, whenever He begins to work in your life, when He begins to work in this nation... Uh, uh, it will challenge people's current spiritual state. I like what Jamie Buckingham said. He's no longer with us. But he once said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, but not before it irritates you. That is really true. The greatest critic, oftentimes of God working in your life, the greatest critic of the Spirit of God moving in the life of His people oftentimes is the group, the religious group, who saw God move last. The greatest critic of a new move of God are those who are part, I've often said, of a last move of God. Many of you know I, I'm kind of a Wesley fan and a Whitfield fan. And uh, I just enjoy the anecdotal stories and when they were in America and that first great awakening was happening, you need to understand it wasn't like the whole nation was just enamored with, with the Wesley brothers and Whitfield. You've got to understand these guys faced incredible opposition. I, I mean, they were run out of towns. They were run out of the church, the very church that ordained them. They were both Whitfield and Wesley were Methodists. You know, that was the inception of Methodism and they were run out of Anglican churches, which, by the way, can I just share this with you? This is how it goes. God does a work in a group. And then what happens is, is that that group wants to park right there. And they don't realize that God is not parking. God is moving forward. His truth is marching on. And so what happens is, is that th there's a group that really receives something new and fresh and important from God, but they park. And that's how it worked all through years. And it's, it's almost comical if it weren't tragic. For instance, you have, you have the Anglicans that, 
that God did something in, but they parked. And so God raised up Methodism. The Wesleys and the, the Whitfields came out of that. And Methodism grew out of that. Well, then Methodism parks. And out of Methodism comes the holiness movement. It, and, and the holiness movement has something fresh and good. And, but they park. So then God raises up the Pentecostal movement out of that. And the Pentecostals are the ones that seem to have something fresh and new going on. But then they park. And so then God raises up the charismatic renewal. And, and, and there's something good and fresh going on in them. But the problem is we park. And that's why folks have asked me, they say, what kind of church are you? And my answer is, whatever God's up to. Because I ain't parking. I want to be in the epicenter of what God is doing in the earth. And listen to me. When you determine that you want to be in something that's fresh and relevant and up to date in what God is up to, there's going to be opposition to these things. I was reading again that when Whitfield would be pushed out of the pulpits of his day and he would go to the fields and he would begin to minister in the fields, that they would go, his, his opposition would go to the fields. Listen, they would not only throw things at him like fruit and vegetables and rocks, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm reading it out of the journals. They would, not to be indelicate, they would throw feces. Wouldn't you like to get hit by that in Jesus' name? Read one story that there were people actually climbing in, in trees. Men would climb in trees. As, as despicable as this is, would literally expose themselves in these trees in order to get the crowd to disperse. They were so committed to the opposition of Whitfield and Wesley. You got to understand that, that, that just by the very presence of God, challenge will begin to manifest itself. And, and I found that people like the thought of God, but they don't necessarily like the presence of God. Because when God shows up, there's conviction. When God shows up, there's stretching. When God shows up, there can be power manifestations that we're not used to. And, and, and so it's going to challenge people's current spiritual state. Number three, the reason uh, there might be opposition is because the transformation is greater, deeper, and more radical than expected. That's why people oppose it. You know, years ago, my, my, my wife knows this. We talked about this on occasion. Uh, Tracy is my college sweetheart. And uh, I'm glad I'm able to say that I married my college sweetheart. But I was saved almost just out of high school. It was in my first year of college. And uh, I dated a, a girl that um, her dad was a college a professor at the Christian college that was located in the city we were a part of. And uh, uh, she had uh, started dating me when I was unsaved. And, uh, you know, some of you ladies know this. You, you know, you may want to get married, but can I just encourage you, don't, don't marry an unsaved guy. You think you think you're going to change them, and maybe maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But you're taking a chance at that. So I was unsaved, and of course I acted unsaved, and and uh, anyway, in as much as you can have some sort of relationship at that early point, um, at that that of course consternated her and probably aggravated her, and and I found out later that you know the youth group would pray for me and. And, and everybody was praying for me. I didn't know everybody was praying for me, but they were all praying for me. And then the day came that uh, God dealt with me. I've told you the story before. God dealt with me on a, on a Sunday night at a service. 
And uh, I went down and I had a two nostril alert. I mean, God came and turned me inside out, upside down. And I got I got saved to the bone. I got saved so good. I'm still saved. Amen. I mean, 32 years. I mean, it's been 32 years since since I had that incredible experience. And I'm just telling you, it wasn't a phase I was going through. It wasn't just one of those momentary emotional things. I wasn't trying to get my tail out of a sling because I was in trouble or something or going to court or something like that. I mean, I got I got saved, converted. But the problem was. She wanted a boyfriend who was a little bit better. I got I got saved beyond her expectations. What that means is, is, is that all of a sudden I, I wanted to live my life all out for God. He started to talk to me about responding to his call and going into the ministry and all of these sorts of things. She wanted a little bit better boyfriend. Here's what it is. She wanted me to quit smoking, not going to the ministry. Are you following me? The transformation went deeper, greater. It was far more radical than expected. And we've got to understand that, that there, there are people, we want, we want people to get a little bit better, but we, I, I don't want you to be a Jesus nut. That's what God's creating. He's creating all-out passionate disciples. And when you determine you're going to be an all-out passionate disciple, you know, people will be happy that you're, that you're getting your life a little bit in order and things are kind of being put in order. And they'll like that, they'll like that. But then, but then you want to pray before every meal. No, you want to go to church every Sunday. You mean you're going to church in the middle of the week too? You mean you go to self groups too? You mean you 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 mean you just you can't you don't you don't you know you 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 don't even you don't even drink at weddings? I, I mean I mean I'm glad I'm glad I mean you know your life was a wreck and you needed to get it a little better but but I don't know about all of this. I can tell you right now when I got when I got saved. When I got saved, you would think as, as much of a wreck. I was aimless. I was focusless. I don't know that my parents knew everything that was going on in my life. If they did, they would have had a coronary. But I can tell you right now, you would have thought that all of a sudden when your son decides that he's not going to carouse, he's not going out at night anymore like he is, he's, he's dropping the, you know, smoking the dope, he's dropping the drinking stuff, he's trying to get his life together, he's got purpose in his life, he's got all of these things that are suddenly finding order because God has been brought into his life. You would have thought everybody would have stood on the ottoman and said, praise God. But that wasn't the response. There was opposition. And some of you, I'm going to share this with you right now, and, and we, can, we can love our parents and we can love our family members and we can love them and, 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 and honor in as much as God says that we're to honor uh, those that have been our parents. But listen to me, you might as well get it in your psyche right now that not everybody in your family tree is going to cut circles because you're right with God. You just need to understand that right now that you're going to have to determine if your God is Jesus or if your God is Mama and Daddy. 
Now, I didn't say we don't honor and we don't do our best to be extending and loving. I'm not saying these things, but I'm telling you, there comes a moment and you got to understand that there's going to be some opposition. You're going to go to family events and they're going to make fun of you. Lord, if you can't take somebody making fun of you, what are you going to do when 666 shows up? Well, we hope you're not here for that, but I'm just simply saying, come on, there's some opposition to this thing. You got changed radically deeper. Jesus was about to radically change how religion was to operate in all the world. And if God saturates us, I can assure it will no longer be business as usual. Folks, I'm telling you, I've, I've done this for years and you've heard me say this for years. We, we, can't, we can't rely on the support of, of everyone around us, especially sometimes even in our family trees. We love these people, yes. But these are not the people we worship. And I get on this on occasion because I know in the South, family is important. But we do not worship our family, we worship God. I love my family, I love everyone. I love my wife, but if my wife came in one day and, and said, and this of course wouldn't happen, but if she were to come in and say, I decided today I ain't serving God anymore. I'd look at my wife and say, well, honey, I love you, I'm going to stick with you, but I'm going to tell you something right now. You're going to spend some lonely hours because I'm going on with God. Won't that cause upheaval? Well, yeah. Yeah. See, we think we think the highest virtue is finding peace. Come on, people. And we find peace at the at the price of compromise. Come on, instead of you moving to the lowest common denominator, why don't you start being the thermostat and set the temperature and start calling people up? Come on up. It's nice up here. Come on up. I'm not trying to be relevant. I'm trying to be Christ-like. And hopefully we can still be relevant in that as well. I'll let that one go. There's opposition because sometimes controlling spirits are confronted. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And what happens is you get set free from the fear of man, addictions, bondage, dysfunction. Jesus confronted the pharisaical nature of Judaism. It irritated him because he circumvented all their man-made ideas in order to bring people into true and lasting freedom. And again, and again I don't know why I'm riding this horse, but, but the minute you begin to declare Jesus as your master, all other masters take second place. Controlling spirits are confronted. And then finally, number five, people's values and priorities are forever changed. If God moves and God moves in your personal life, if he moves in our nation, people's values and priorities will forever be changed. Can I just share this with you that if God pours forth of his spirit, I will assure you that bar owners will not be happy. Can I just share this with you that if God's spirit moves in amazing ways, abortion doctors won't be happy. The pimps and the prostitutes will not be happy. The casino owners will not be happy. Are you following me? Politicians will not be happy because all their sin tax revenue will go down because people don't want to be taxed on doing sin anymore. Lawyers will not be happy because divorce clients will be no more. 
Hollywood would not be happy because attendance at filthy, rotten movies will go down. The music industry will not be happy because all those songs with those filthy lyrics that I can't understand half the time will no longer sell because people won't want to hear it anymore. They ain't going to be happy, are they? So all the hip-hop and up, jump up, down, whatever. I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah, Lady Gaga. iPod sales. Technology goes down. Can you understand? People aren't happy when you get right with God. Revival will drastically alter our current economic and moral system. People just don't like that. So what do we do about it? I'm going to end with this. The truth is that some of you at this very moment are experiencing opposition. We're not even in what I would call a full-blown move of God. We are passionate. We solicit God's presence. There's a sense of His presence amongst us as a people. And, and these things are great and they're good. And I believe that God wants to intensify that in even greater measure. And just... just because of the taste that we've had and, 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 and the, the sliver of the veil that's been opened to us. At this very moment, some of you are experiencing opposition. And I want to give you some good news. That means that there's enough of the presence of God in you to merit the attention of the forces of darkness. Isn't that good news? The enemy's concerned about me. Praise God. But if we keep going deeper, if we keep crying out, God moves more. If we, we ask Him for national renewal, then there's some things you're going to need to know. And I'm going to just go down through this super, super quick. Number one, you need to expect it. There's going to be opposition. You better start expecting it. The Bible tells us that in last days, there will be what is called scoffers and mockers. In Hebrews chapter 11, can I just take a moment and read some verses? We're doing pretty good on time, and I got a fan up here on me today, so I'm probably good for another 10 minutes. Uh, Hebrews 11:36. Listen to this. It said, "It says this. This is in the Hall of Faith. These are the people you're aspiring to be like." It says, "Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment." They were stoned, they're sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. Listen, people, if you're living for the Lord, you're going to get mocked. Second Peter 3.3, 3. listen to this, Second Peter uh, three, three. It says uh, that you were mindful of the words which were spoken before uh, by the prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So there are going to be folks that will scoff and, and in Jude 18, which Jude rarely gets read from. But it says somewhat of a similar thing. It says how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Now, you're, expect it. If you love God, if you would raise your hand, and I'm just, this is rhetorically. I mean, you can do it if you want, but this is just rhetorically. You know, if we were to raise our hands and say, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I'm all for you. Then hear me, expect some scoffers. If you, listen, if you go to work and you've got 
five or six people that you work with, and there you are, and all of a sudden one day you find them mocking and scoffing you. There's something inside of you that needs to say, glory to God. There's enough of God in me to warrant or solicit a little opposition. You know what our problem is? This is our problem because of the current age we live in. Because now the United States of America has become culturally, listen, we've been culturally inoculated to the word Christian. Everybody, if they're not Jewish, if they're not Buddhist, if they're not Islam, if they're not Hindu, then everybody's Christian. And so you're at work, and this is what happens. This is how our mind gets messed with. We've listened to co-workers and maybe family members, and they're all go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I don't do all that stuff you do, and I'm a Christian. Hey, listen. Tell them to get their Bible out of their closet and blow the dust off it. And, you, and have them show you where it is that you're supposedly wrong. Well, that, that'll stop things usually pretty quick. But we've got to begin to understand that, that, that just because there are five Christians and, and they seem to have a different worldview than you doesn't make them right and you wrong. There were 850 prophets that prophesied victory to a king. And there was one prophet who told the king, you'll lose your life if you go into this battle. And 850 prophets were wrong and the one was right. There are moments, and I'm not saying that there aren't moments that wisdom can come out of a multitude of counselors, but wisdom doesn't come out of a multitude of tepid, half-hearted, compromising, show-up-once-a-quarter Christians that are somehow going to direct my life. Come on. Got to expect some... Some challenge. Jesus was a Jew and his own people opposed him. Wasn't that they were right and he was wrong. Come on. The Bible tells us in the last days there's going to be some scoffing and some mocking that goes on. You know, when I was young, we kind of lived for it. It's amazing how as you get older, you want to be a man pleaser. You want everybody to get along and everybody to be happy. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm now getting... You see, because you, it's like when you're young... You can kind of live with the fact that you're, you know, you got a cause, you're going to live all out, you don't care who's with you. And then when you get into your middle age areas, it's like you're trying to keep everybody happy and you're trying to please them and you're doing all this. But the neat thing about getting old is, again, you don't care anymore. I don't care. It's like I've often said, what are you going to do? Put me in a mall? Expect it. Number two, deflect it. We're going to have to turn our ears off to those voices and determine that we're going to pursue God. Listen, we can't allow the voices of those who opt for shallow and superficial existence to deter us from pursuing His presence. You're going to have to deflect that stuff. I'm just sharing some things with you. I understand. Some of you, even in this room, I know this because you shared it. And, and, and there's, there's numbers of you that have faced this. I have faced this. Because we're passionate and people aren't used to passion, they oftentimes look at us and say, well, you know, that legacy tribe, that's kind of weird or different. And they have even used the term cult. Listen to me. They called Paul a cult too. You're going to have to just get over it. There's going to be opposition. It's going to cost something to follow the Lord. These things are easy. 
Because I'm telling you, we're entering into an era where I'm afraid it's going to get much more difficult. I'm telling you right now, if the hate speech bill passes and you can no longer say or suggest that homosexuality is a sin or it's going to be like what they do in Canada, a pastor friend of mine in Canada has lawsuits against him because he stood up and read out of Romans chapter 1 and told his people that was sinful behavior and he ought not participate in it. And now he's in lawsuits in court. I know of another pastor in Canada that right now has so much civil litigation against him that it's literally draining him dry. And they told him that he would have to literally recant his faith in a Canadian courtroom. These aren't some stories I picked off the internet. These are voices of men I have heard from. And that's the way we're headed, folks. And I'm just telling you, if we can't stand up to somebody laughing at us, laughing at us around the coffee break table, what are we going to do when they come in for your pastor? Will you still say amen then? We're going to have to learn to deflect this stuff and not allow those voices to deter us from pursuing His presence. Number three, I wrote down here, affect it. You expect it, you deflect it, then you begin to affect it. We cannot cave to the pressure. His grace is sufficient. Now is the time. I believe, I believe that when there's darkness, Isaiah 60 says, yea, even gross darkness in the earth, that we have the opportunity to be the light that shines, that will draw kings and princes to the brightness of its rising. Now is the time for us to begin to affect our world. The kingdoms of this world are disintegrating before our very eyes. We have come to the kingdom and we have come to Charleston for such a time as this. Come on, it's time we affect it. I remember in those early years, I'm just trying to give you some practical illustrations. I remember in those early years, I got saved and born again. And I lost every friend I ever had. I hate telling people that because that's really not a very good advertising statement when we ask people to come to Jesus. You know, you're going to lose. Hey, come to Jesus. You're going to lose every friend you've ever had. Hallelujah. Everybody's tripping over themselves to do that. But it's true. It's true. Because I couldn't hang out with the same drug, dope, smoking, drinking, carousing. I you can't do it anymore. So I lost every friend that I had. But this is what's interesting. What's interesting was, and it took about six months to a year, all of a sudden, one by one, these friends, like Nicodemus, they would come to me by night. And, and their lives were falling apart. And, and everything was, was just, just collapsing. And they go, what, what, is it, what is it that you've got? I want it. Let me tell you something, folks. If we stay passionate... And we stay pursuing, the world will eventually want to know what we've got. When everything else is falling apart and they've tried it all and done it all, and they've, they've implemented this wisdom and that wisdom, there's going to come a moment that they're going to look around and they're going to see families that are whole and people that are in order. And they're going to begin to see something around them that's going to arrest their attention that they're eventually going to say, I, I, I think I need to check into what you got. Because obviously what I've been signing up for isn't working in my life. There has got to be a people in a generation who will not get sucked into false favor by compromising what they know is true and what is right. we got to affect it. Number four, I believe that, that ultimately we'll begin to correct it. 1 Peter 3.13 Listen to this. And who, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Peter lived in a day far more hostile than ours. And we need to be skilled and ready in God's word to stand for truth. If people want to know why it is you do what you do, then you should be ready to give a defense. If they want to know why you live like you live, you should be ready to give a defense. And out of that, you can begin to correct it and correct them. And you can begin to be salt and light in that situation as well. And then finally, I put down here, and forgive me for using the term it, but I, I, I reverted back to my Nazarene alliteration here. So you got to have a little alliteration every now and there in a sermon. Expect it, deflect it, Affect it, correct it, and I put protect it. What I mean by that is, and I believe God will forgive me, is that we need to cherish and protect the sense of his presence in our life. He's not an it, you know that. It just fit in the sermon. Don't mess with my sermon. We need to cherish and protect the sense of his presence. In our lives. We need, we need to protect the sense of his presence and what we enjoy here at our local church. You know, I, it really does. It, encourage, it encourages me in kind of a convoluted way. And I know there are great churches all over America and there are a lot of great churches in our region and our town as well. And so I understand we're just a piece of the kingdom, the kingdom puzzle, so to speak, in our region. We're, we're not the only church in town and there are a lot of good ones that are doing a great work. And we affirm that. But, but I, I sort of get a convoluted affirmation on occasion when people, when people who, have, who have gone and, and they've had to be transferred, let's say, or they were assigned another place and, and they'll write back or they'll Facebook me or something and they'll say, Pastor Baird, you know, uh, you know we, may, we found a church or we're still looking for a church, but I just want you to know there's just no place like Legacy. Maybe I, maybe I ought not feel like that, but I guess I get a convoluted affirmation out of that. We've got to protect what we have, the presence of God. We, 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 we've, we've got to value. When we came in this morning, did you see prayer time? Everybody's just, you know, it don't happen everywhere. But I'm glad it happens here. And, and, and we, need to, we need to cherish and protect the sense of God's presence in our life. The musicians and singers want to start slipping up here. I want to tell one last story as they're making their way up to the front here. I'd probably been saved, studying for the ministry, knowing the Lord for maybe about two years. I was somewhere in the age area of 19 or 20 years old. I was working for a, a Christian gentleman at the church that I went to, and he made safety control panels for industries, mostly the automotive industry. And it was summertime. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the guys that worked there, if we had uh, issues with our automobile or, or needed to fix something on our cars, Oftentimes, he'd let us close up shop because he had all the tools and all the nice 
things that we could uh, we could use to fix our automobiles with. And so it was after work on a Friday. It was probably, I don't know, six or seven o'clock at night. And I was the last one there. I had a 79 Mustang, five liter engine, V8, five speed, five on the floor, cast aluminum metric tire. It wasn't an idol, though, I promise it wasn't an idol. But I was working, I was working under the hood on it, and, and I don't even remember all that I was doing. It could have been something as simple as changing a battery, for all I know. We shared the same parking lot as a, as a, a fencing and roofing company. And uh, they had worked late on that Friday night. We'd already closed up. I, I was the only one left. They had worked late. And, and this is what they did every, it was an everyday kind of a thing. They would come in on their, their trucks and uh, they literally, there'd be probably a dozen of them that'd be riding on the back of a, a 24,000 pound truck. And uh, they come riding in and that's just how they got them to where they were working and, and brought them back. But obviously they'd made a stop on this Friday afternoon. They'd stopped somewhere and they were feeling real good. It, it was obvious that they'd stopped probably for a few cold ones and uh, they had gotten real loose. In fact, some of them have gotten drunk. And um, and they were relatively, I think, aware that the company that was there was, was Christian in its orientation. Everybody that I, I that I remember were Christians in their in their thinking, and a lot of us attended the same church. But they pulled in, and I remember one guy I actually went to high school with him. He jumped off the back, and, and I didn't see all this happening. I just kind of knew the routine. And I remember all of a sudden, as I'm, as I'm working under the hood of the car, I felt this tap on the back. And when I turned around, there was this guy. I knew him from high school. Of course, all he had was his, his shirtless. He had his jeans on, dusty, dirty, had his work boots on. He had his cold one in his hand. And he started to talk to me, and it was like, Whoa. You know, I, I didn't need him to blow into a meter to know that he, he, he'd have blown the meter out. I mean, it was, it was stiff. And, oh, Gavin, how you doing, buddy? Long lost friend. Hey. Hey, why don't you come on over and have one with, with us? Have one, have one. And, and I'd look at and I'd say, no, no, thanks, thanks. I'm, I'm working on the car here. I want you to listen to the story very carefully. I'm working on the car here. No, no, go on, have a go. One, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I appreciate, appreciate you, you asking, but I'm working on the car. Here. And, and for whatever reason, at that moment, he became offended. Now I tell you, the only thing worse than a sober offended person is a drunk offended person, because then he turned into his. Well, I'll just say it this. He, he turned into the whooptail mode. What do you mean? You know what I'm doing? too good to drink with me. You can embarrass me in front of my friends. And, and I'm standing there now. And this is the part that you got to get a hold of. I was there all alone. Work shut down. No, nobody but him and me. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank God. And all of a sudden, I, I realized that I was fixing to get my tail whooped. Because even if I could have whooped him, I had about a dozen other drunk ones over there. 
And just for a moment, now realize, I, I said, no, I'm working on my car. I appreciate, you know, I'm doing everything I know to do. And it, it came the moment when finally I said, listen, listen, I'm a believer. I just, I can't, I, I can't violate. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but it was like, I can't disappoint. I can't disappoint Jesus who's living in me. I just can't, I can't do it. Now, I didn't know what was going to come. I didn't know if at that moment I was going to get sideswiped. I, I, you know, I don't know. And he's, and he's just looking at me in his drunk state. And finally, he just sort of just tapped me on the kind of like that. That kind of hurt just like that. He said, well, you good guy. And then he just walked off. Listen, I tell you that story for this singular purpose. You're going to get opposition and you're not even asking. People are going to oppose you and challenge you and you weren't looking for a fight. I'm glad that all he did was sort of tap me and I didn't have to try to defend myself with 12 drunks. I'm glad that that story turned out relatively well. But the point that I want to make to you is this, that there may come a day that the story doesn't turn out that well. And let me tell you, when you're in the middle of it, you don't know how the story is going to turn out. But you've got to begin to say to yourself, it is more important for me to please God, to live for Him, than it is to satisfy anyone else's expectations. Listen, the Bible tells us, listen, we are more than conquerors. The Bible tells us the greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. The Bible tells us, that, listen, listen, that, that we are overcomers and you can't overcome unless there's something to overcome. And I'm telling you, we're entering into a season when there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition in your personal life and there's going to be national opposition. If we think this country's going to turn around and everybody's just going to love it, folks, you're sleeping. There's going to be a challenge in all of this. But we can keep a clear conscience. We can keep a good spirit. We can do what God asks of us to do. And we, yes, we can still love the sinner and hate the sinner. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But my question is, have you really, have you really settled that in your in your spirit and in your psyche. Stand up with me, will you, for just a moment. Father.